luminaries, talking to the brightest minds in tech. We have always believed that if we built the right technology, we could amplify and enhance and enable human progress. And when I look at what lies ahead, I realize that we've really just barely begun. Your hosts are Mark Schaefer and Douglas Carr. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Luminaries, where we talk to the brightest minds in tech. This is Mark Schaefer, and today we're going to be expanding our journey on transformation, digital transformation, transforming our companies, even our lives. And I'm here today with my co-host, Doug Carr. And I learned just moments ago that Doug FaceTimes with his dog. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Sorry to embarrass you, but I just can't get that image out of my mind. So we have an amazing, amazing show today. And we're sitting right here with Dr. Orna Berry. Dr. Berry has more than 30 years of experience in science, technology, venture capital, and entrepreneurship. One of her own startups, Ornit Dana Data Communications, was acquired by Siemens. She's had a variety of prestigious positions in her career, including research fellow at Unisys and IBM, chief scientist at Fibronics, and she was Israel's first woman director of industrial research and business development. She's won so many awards, and I just think, go to her Wikipedia page. <laughs> you just need, trust me, trust me, you need to go to her Wikipedia page to really appreciate the accomplishments of this amazing woman. She's in the Women in Technology Hall of Fame, and now she's vice president of Dell EMC and general manager for the company's Israel Center of Excellence. Dr. Barry, I am so pleased and honored to have you with us today. It's a lot of fun to be with you. So, Tell us a little bit about this center of excellence. I know with all your great accomplishments in your life, this is something special to you. So tell us a little bit about how this began and what you do there. So Israel is, <coughs> sorry, Israel is well known as a startup nation and uh, uh, EMC, now Dell EMC, have performed a significant number of acquisitions in Israel. And so we have sites that are in the north of the country as a result of an acquisition of uh, Scaleo in uh, Haifa. We have site of multiple acquisitions in Herzliya. And we have site which is an organic uh, center of innovation uh, that was established uh, between the government of Israel and uh, at that time EMC because the government uh, wanted to have a shift of, uh, that is very interesting for us from an IT transformation perspective. They wanted to bring together tens of data centers into three and to base them in uh, Be'er Sheva and in the vicinity of Be'er Sheva. And they wanted to empower the excellent university that is there in the collaboration with industry and uh, with the government. And we were um, very fortunate to take part in this uh, establishment. Wow. So, so um, <clears throat> we have a, a truly exceptional activities uh, like in data science, uh, cybersecurity solutions, 
as well as uh, uh, data protection and other divisions that, uh, that evolved from acquisitions in Israel in Be'er Sheva. Now, there is a spirit, you know, people invent, and, and when you have such an innovation uh, environment, uh, the, the personal contribution together with the, with the brain capabilities are yielding phenomenal results, and it's, it's a big pride to all of us. That's wonderful. Uh, one of the goals of the Center of Excellence that I was reading from the website is to enable businesses and service providers to deliver information technology as a service. And I was, I was surprised to see that, that that just stood out as a goal itself. Could you talk about what the role of information technology as a service is to IT transformation? So um, when, we go, when we go to customers and we offer them products, then potentially they know what they want and they will buy the products and will place them as they planned in their uh, IT facility, IT infrastructure. When customers want to be very competitive, like one customer who wanted to be uh, the first digital bank uh, in the country, um, so they knew what they want to achieve. They, they knew abstractly what they want to achieve. They, they didn't know exactly um, what will be the, the services that they will introduce uh, first, how they will change the business model uh, completely because the regulatory environment, not that they didn't know how to digitize. And they needed somebody to come with them along the, the, the course of action and to actually build the plan, uh, both in the time constraints and also in the content, uh, such that, uh, for example, they use the data that they have about uh, the customer. Customers can be private uh, banking or can be um, enterprises uh, who have their accounts with the bank and, and variety of, uh, of uh, transactions uh, of multiple kinds from, you know, uh, uh, loans to, to um, just maintaining investments and such. So, so um, they needed a partner to think about, first of all, they wanted to be first. Secondly, they wanted to be very use usable and user-friendly. Uh, thirdly, they needed to meet regulation. Fourth, they needed to have marketing information combined with confidential information, which bring us to think about the cloud. So the end result was that um, we started with a very simple um, VDI connectivity to the branches. Uh, we continued with many discussions about data because you can have data, but if you don't connect the data, uh, when, when a customer is asking for a loan and they have a major investment in the bank, you don't see the connection, but you want to be automated and friendly uh, to, to the customer. So it's, it's the data and the applications, because you know, just data, a repository, is not giving you the, the kind of uh, friendliness uh, and personalization that you want to have. So, so at the end of the day, um, Israel is an unsegmented market. It, it produces a lot of uh, technology for the global markets, but it, from a consumer perspective, as a country, 
it is reasonably small, but very uh, aggressive. So some of the customers that we have are willing to be leaders uh, in the global industry. And for us as engineers, this is spectacular because we can go with them, try with them, examine with them, hear their feedback, and here we have multiple services. So one service is listening to the customer about what are their priorities and what they would like to achieve, and then uh, connect the data that they have with the services that they want to provide, with the infrastructure that is required, and with the banks, for example, you know, enterprise hybrid cloud, one of the first installations, or a converged infrastructure, because it turns out that when you build a big infrastructure with converged infrastructure, you can achieve time to market that you wouldn't be achieve otherwise. So, so you would run, for example, a year ahead of, of people who are not using converged infrastructure and need to configure each one of the pieces in order to, to um, make them work together. And of course, the quality is much higher when you have bigger pieces because you, you, if they're pre-configured, you have less uh, errors. So, so this is one example. Other examples, when you know people started talking about the cloud um, beyond uh, what uh, Amazon is is offering, um, they wanted to have the cloud for um, critical mission. They wanted to have the cloud uh, for, and this is we're talking about our cloud, our requirements for administrative purposes, for massive data gathering. So for each one of those, there are different technologies that offer optimal um, operation and minimal cost. So this dialogue, when, when it takes place, is quite, uh, quite impressive. And as I mentioned at the beginning, one of the, the key uh, initiatives of the Israeli government is, is the consolidation of data centers for the Ministry of Defense and placing them in the south. Um, this is modernization. This is migration. Uh, those are capabilities that, uh, you know, God forsake, you, you're, really, you're really concerned when you need to manage it. And you need, as a, as a major procurement, you need to manage two things. You need to manage the procurement in order to meet the budget. And you need to define the components in order to have a sequence that is actually leading you to an operational uh, facility in time. And as I mentioned earlier, in budget. So, so, so the, the, the correctness or the validation is, is a technological exercise. The, the pricing is, um, is, of course, budget. So when you meet uh, the teams of the technology and you meet people with experience about services and systems, together with the, with the, the, the budgetary elements, then uh, you can offer something that is very modern. Now, I mentioned that Israel is unsegmented. For that, we had to team up between the sales the technologists, the services, so we can go through the motion of addressing all the aspects of the customer, and at the end of the day, for the customer to decide what they want 
to do themselves and what they want to delegate to us. And very importantly, we have uh, the national cert in, in uh, Be'er Sheva, and uh, the government has increased the demand for our service people because they saw that uh, from proficiency of how they are trained by our technologists and from uh, uh, cost effectiveness, it pays. So initially they defined less than 10, today they are way more uh, in, the, in, in the population that, uh, that is working and giving services and is actually employed by us. I have a question that uh, this has been burning on my mind. And I think you're the first person I've met that can really answer this because your heart has been in not just technology, but also really aspects of humanity and public policy. And I heard an interview you gave one time where you talked about the, the issues of data exposure, the availability of data, and, he, and maybe even the potential for harm with the exposure of data. Are governments keeping up with the issues of data from a policy point of view? Uh, what, what, where do you see this in, in, in the world from, from your perspective, both as an opportunity and maybe as a hazard in the future? So, you know, when, when the internet uh, or the internet protocol was uh, originally uh, presented, they did not include any capabilities for security. And uh, later on, they, they looked at security from um, uh, two perspectives. One is the protection of the data in a particular location. And the other is the protection of the data in motion. And um, in order to do that, they, they looked at the protection at uh, multi-levels where the semantics of the data can be extracted. So the whole issue of protection of data in sizable uh, uh, lakes as we have today um, became quite complex. And the regulatory issues that disallow the transfer of data between locations. So the data protection is, um, has many, many uh, aspects. You want it from the perspective of not losing it and from continuity. You want it uh, from the, the, the perspective of not um, modifying it and uh, um, creating, uh, uh, basically, uh, you want to, to keep the validation, the, the validity of the data. And um, when you, when you um, can access the data uh, these days, it became a, an acronym for, for uh, theft. So, so, for example, you make a transaction uh, in a credit card. Um, that trans transaction of the credit card can be the, the information that is being transferred, if it's not protected, can be stolen. Now, see, people will talk differently about security, about data protection, um, about cybersecurity, 
about prevention of uh, malicious uh, activities and, and think about the size of the data that we possess and the location and the regulation, then obviously you have uh, a tremendous, uh, tremendous risks of multiple kinds. You have tremendous risk on continuity, you have tremendous risks on validity, uh, you, may, you have tremendous risks of availability. Um, so so um, it is a major, major issue. Now, some of the, of the activities are point-wise. Some of the activities, and you asked me earlier about uh, services, are integrated. Now, when you integrate, the, the, there are limitations that you, you put many tools, and each one of the tools is accessing its own data and having a particular function. Now, you can have lots of data that can help you improve your security under other functions in different structures. So, so basically, the more you add, you end up going lower in the security level. And if you uh, combine, say, the data, or at least the data that under regulation you can share, and you can apply those functionalities on broader data, the level of risk that you present is far lower than the original level of risk. So by all means, the, the uh, security um, and security operation and security management, because it's not only about um, a particular component, you want to have end-to-end -end security, is very similar to what we discussed earlier when we were talking about modernization and migration. And you need to, to keep in mind that sometimes you want to have the ability to make decisions that on, on geographically dis, uh, dispersed data and to make decisions and then without with sort of anonymizing the data, you actually combine the, the information about the security to have a higher level of combined, uh, a, a combined security. Other times, you don't have to regulate the data, not because of geographic dispersion or, or privacy, and you can just sit on all the data with the full functionality. If today you can integrate capabilities and give the service, then you reduce the, the, the risk for the individuals who are totally confused because they get in the morning a call from, from uh, the content distribution of their television co content. They get in the afternoon a call from uh, their telecom providers, the internet providers, and they, you know, they want to be secure, but they don't even understand whether they, what they respond to is adding up together. And, and we want to, to be able to facilitate it and to add it all up together. And that is, that is uh, something that uh, today, for anything, for the compute, for the store, for the interconnect, for the management, which is very important because we manage systems, we want to have uh, combined security. And adding to that complexity, of course, is in the Internet of Things and IoT. And you had done an interview where you had spoken about 
the number one hurdle for adoption for IoT was content awareness. Can you speak to that a little bit? So I believe uh, that uh, IoT just uh, pull, uh, dis uh, distributes the wisdom of devices uh, much broader. Uh, the, we talked about compute elements. So even if you do not store uh, the information where you where you sense, uh, for example, a cow. You know, connected cow, cows is not a, um, a joke. It's, right. it's, a, it's an actual mechanism to um, provide nutrition such that the cows are producing the best milk and the best uh, type of milk. Because if you have a th certain threshold for cheese making, you want higher coagulation. It is much, uh, um, much less hazardous to, to the environment because you don't have the, the water that is created in, in chemical processes of, of uh, cheese production. And you have, um, a, a, you have healthier uh, cheese because of the fact that uh, it is much uh, a more natural process. So, so if you just look at, at what happens, and you have thousands of uh, f uh, herds and farms, and you have uh, hundreds of uh, countries, and you have different environmental conditions in terms of temperature and nutrition, and you want to learn from everything in order to, to uh, give the, the best nutrition according to the weather, to your herds in order to produce the healthiest uh, food and to have the minimal impact on the environment, um, then, then uh, assume that you, know, you don't want uh, anyone playing with the parameters that are being, um, being transmitted and gathered in some places as, uh, as the main uh, learning process of, uh, of preparing the nutrition, and you have tremendous amount of, uh, of information flowing. You don't want to lose information. So think about the amount of, of information where you have each cow producing, let's say, 200 megabytes a year, which is a small amount, but, but with thousands of herds and thousands of cows in herds, it's, it's, it adds up to, to a lot. So, so you need to do distribution in order to do the reduction of the data. You need to protect the data. All of it, when you, when you think about the complexity and the amount of data and the dependencies in order to come to valid decisions that are global and, and regional decisions that are according to the environmental conditions, you, you have tremendous amounts. And, and if you need to protect it, how much overhead you want to put on it? If you would put 10% overhead on all of it, it's 10% cost of the systems. It might be 10% slower in the communication. Variety of issues. So, so the, the problems must be broken up such that you can deal with the incremental uh, scale that we, we provide today with, the, with our digital infrastructure, you need to, to, to think about the problem such that uh, you minimize the, the overhead. And you minimize the overhead for security or you minimize the overhead for 
compute or for communication or for store. I'm going to switch gears a little bit because I know another great passion in your life is to work on this issue of women in technology. And Doug and I are both fathers of young women. So on behalf of us, first of all, I want to thank you for your work. I want to thank you for your leadership. And I read through a, a report that you worked on in 2003, Women in Industrial Research, a wake-up call for European industry. And there was a phrase in there that just hit me really deeply. And it was the leaky pipeline that at each part of the education process, of the professional process, the women were leaking through. It was the pipeline was leaking. Right. And it, it, that some, something about that phrase just really hit me hard. So what's changed? Is it we're now 15 years removed from this report, it was a, it was a, a bold report, it was a data-driven report. What's the state today? Not much has changed um, because, uh, you, you know, people are talking about uh, stereotyping and people are talking about uh, uh, corrective actions, uh, but they really do not make an effort of looking at results uh, and uh, unifying the approach. Women are still paid less than men. Um, they are still, uh, it, it's not only being paid less than, than, than men, but also in terms of uh, other economical conditions, be it uh, from uh, stock option plans and others, they are inferior. And um, the number of women in all the layers is sufficiently small that in many places women are not, um, uh, do not have the influence. They, they work harder in order to even communicate and to be heard and influence uh, even when they are experts. So, so um, until we see about, uh, and this is, this is economically, uh, an, a, an, a, it was analyzed economically and, and uh, until we see 30% in the boardroom, in the management, um, in the top management, and uh, percolating all below, until we see that when a man and a woman receive a position and are being promoted at about the same rate, um, that their uh, financial conditions and terms of employment are the same, um, we, haven't, we haven't gone forward. The issue of stereotyping is very, very important when you try to, to create a, an egalitarian um, a regulatory environment. Because unless you, you create um, a regulatory environment that is based, is, is not based on, on uh, stereotyping, is, is really um, making a best practice such that women and men can contribute, we are going to be in, in a race for talent. We are going to pay more for talent. 
and we're going to have uh, always insufficient first-liners in expertise because we avoided a significant part of the population. And um, given, given what I said uh, in 2003 and what I rechecked in 2014, we, we haven't, uh, even though people think that the women are accepted, um, it's not really uh, the case that they are listened to and are given the opportunity to um, in the same, uh, the same as men. And there are some societies that, uh, you know, I'm talking about the Western society, which uh, is uh, reasonably more advanced, but in other societies, uh, it's, it's way even behind. And that, you know, it applies. A, a, I always uh, look at uh, personal examples. So um, my, my daughter, who is 27 years old, she's a mathematician, and uh, when she was uh, um, applying herself uh, to, to science courses, like when she was between seven and nine, um, I once came to, to pick her up, and uh, I was then one of two director generals in the government dealing with uh, technology areas. Um, the other one it was in the Ministry of Defense, and she stands with her back to me. The, the advisor for the gifted programs is talking to her and is asking her, um, don't, you, don't you feel strange that you are the only girl in the class? My heart, you know, sunk, but she answered. She said, I came to this class not because of social reasons. I came because I was interested in the topic. Fast forward, we're talking 20 years ahead, my granddaughter. She, um, uh, the teacher tells her mom, and her mom is, is a leading lawyer and has a sister who is a professor of uh, chemical physics. She tells her mom, it's very important that the girl will start being interested in humanities because as a girl, she won't be interested in sciences for a long time. Number one. Number two, she's a great athlete. And uh, the boys like her on their soccer team. And the teacher asks for somebody to be a judge. And in Hebrew, judge for female and judge for male are different. Uh, it's shofet and shofetit. So the, the, the kids selected her to be the judge because she's very level-headed. The teacher says, no, I asked for a judge, masculine, not a judge, feminine. So we heard it, her mom, uh, my daughter-in-law, and myself, and uh, we were ready to, to go kill the teacher. <laughs> she said, no, 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 I'm going to handle it my, myself, which, which uh, she did. But, but um, this, this is because she's uh, fairly confident that she's really doing very well and understands the rules of the game very well, and she can play it. But, but uh, I, I think that a lot of girls coming from the uncertainty of what is their image and what is their role, um, would back off when they're told something like that. So you had mentioned that you have a grandchild. Four of them. Four, four congratulations. Um, what are you excited for from a technology aspect for those grandchildren? Each one of them is very different. And the... the, the I, 
the kids are my eldest son and my central daughter's kids. So the, the youngest of my central daughter's kids is all the time assembling, disassembling, and researching variety of issues. Um, his older sister is always surprising me with a, a understanding of her understanding of physics. Um, so each one of them has a different angle. They're very different, but but what is is wonderful to see is that they're intrigued and genuinely interested. And I say that no, uh, I cannot I cannot uh, tell people what to do and and what to be, you know, how to uh, become uh, visible. But, but when people like what they do, they become visible. And um, it's, it's really a great pride to see how interested they, they are. And they all are, all the four of them are very interested. One comes to it from robots and, and uh, Lego, one comes to it from uh, abstraction of uh, uh, the solar system and, uh, and beyond. Each one of them comes from a different perspective. And um, uh, you know, the, talking about humanities, my my other granddaughter say that she doesn't want uh, she doesn't like uh, biblical studies which uh, are mandatory in schools in Israel, and she ended up getting the best uh, grade in the class in in, uh, in biblical studies, but uh, but she still maintains that this is not something that she will pursue as a career. She she's just good and she enjoys it. My Grand, uh, grandson uh, got uh, an award for, um, they, they got a list of books and they needed to demonstrate uh, how many books they read and how, what is their understanding of the, the, the content. And he got the first prize. Yeah. Uh, also, I have another piece of uh, pride that uh, he got uh, for his school, the, the award for leading in uh, cybersecurity, whatever they learn, I don't even know for, for young children what they do. So, so um, the curiosity exists, and, and uh, apparently brains as well. So it, it is a pleasure to see. As you, and don't skip my kids because my kids are not so bad either. <laughs> well, as you, as you sit in this center of excellence and you look at this technology landscape that's before you, what technology will impact your grandchildren the most going forward? What will have the biggest impact on their lives? From, I, I think that from the computational. Um, usability. Uh, it's about automation and virtual reality and augmented reality and all of that. From um, a research perspective, one of my grandkids said that he's going to devote his uh, life to finding solution for cancer. So it's, mm. so it's, using, it's using tools, it's using computational data, tools, yeah. data and yeah. Yeah. And perhaps, vir perhaps virtual reality, too, and something like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dr. Barry, this was such a delight. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been uh, an honor and uh, just so 
really uh, inspirational listening to you today. And I know all of you have enjoyed this as well. Uh, please uh, tune in to our next episode of Luminaries. And if you get a chance, stop by iTunes and leave us a review. Let us know what you're thinking about the show. This is Mark Schaefer, and on behalf of myself and Doug Carr, thank you so much for listening to us. We never take you for granted, and we'll see you next time. Luminaries, talking to the brightest minds in tech, a podcast series from Dell Technologies. Dell Technologies.